Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Well, it wouldn't be a Sunday edition without a welcome, welcome, welcome. So to everybody in ACB land, which is American Council of the Blind, and any new listeners who came across this topic over the last week and decided that they wanted to sit in and listen, thank you so much for joining us. A couple of quick notes uh, this week, registration for the American Council of the Blind National Convention opened up. You can go to ACB. Dot org, follow the convention uh, links and get yourself registered. The email and password um, that you use will help you create an ACB account that will be used across platforms. So even if you've had one before, unfortunately, we need to re-up the database to all the new technology that's out there. So you'll be asked to do that again. Deadlines for the auction and if you'd like to donate any door prizes are fast approaching. So if you've got an auction item, please hit up Leslie Spoon. Her email will be in the show notes. And if you want to donate a door prize, please hit up Janet. Through the month of June, um, I will be highlighting some great convention programming that's coming up. We'll also be talking with DKM and JP Morgan Chase past winners at recipients. So that's one of the shows in June and uh, lots of great ACB national convention programming highlights will be on the show. Today, uh, we are going to be talking about mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And when I was growing up, my father always instilled in my sister and I that talking about religion, money, or politics was something that would probably get you in trouble and should be avoided if possible in uh, big conversation settings. And as I've grown through adulthood, I realized that those aren't the only subjects that um, are avoided like the plague. And I think mental health happens to be one of them. And the purpose of the conversation today is to shine a light on the darkness, to take some of the stigmas away, to share some of our Mm -hmm. personal experiences. And just one fact in researching for today's show that really stood out to me, Johns Hopkins uh, School of Psych psychiatry or psychology um, put out a study in 2017 that said one out of every 10 people that you'll meet are dealing with some form of mental health issue. And that really stands out to me because most of you listening know that I am also a part of the LGBTQ community and that's pretty much the same statistic. So now not only will I be in large gatherings wondering, okay, nine, 10, is he or she? 11, 12, 13, well, it doesn't have to be every 10th person, but I digress as I usually do. I just felt, I found that statistic rather rather interesting and maybe even a little alarming. One out of every 10 persons are dealing with some form of mental health instability. So I have a really great panel so that we're gonna get 
we're going to start talking with immediately because this is going to be an intense conversation. I'm going to start out with Caitlin Hernandez. If you can say hello, tell the folks where you're from. Tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be part of the conversation today and a negative and positive experience you've had around mental health, whether it be from other people or from your own perspective. Caitlin, welcome to Sunday Edition. Hi, everybody. My name is Caitlin Hernandez. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I live in San Francisco, California, where I'm a full-time special education teacher. Um, I'm really appreciative, Anthony, that you invited me. I think this is a really important conversation. I think it's hard sometimes for folks who, like Anthony was saying, live at intersections, right? Be that disabled or LGBTQ or people of color to access mental health. Um, and I think it's also hard for folks to accept that maybe we need the support, right? Because we always have to put on a show of having it all together, right? And not needing sort of, not even extra support, but just support in general, right? I think people like to assume that we've, we've got it going on and we're all good. Um, a positive, let's see. Um, I found a wonderful therapist in the time of Corona that has been super helpful to me. Um, and a negative, again, ties back to what we were saying earlier that when I was in college trying to find a therapist, I felt like disability was not very understood um, by the folks that I was trying to access mental health support from. Um, because right, as with many things, we don't have as many disabled therapists because ableism and racism, right? We don't end forget trying to find a queer disabled therapist of color, right? Like you cannot, I mean, you could, but there needs to be way more out there. Um, so I think that's my negative is just that it's sometimes hard to find a good match, right? And to find support in finding a good match. So here's to better mental health for all of us in 2021 and beyond. And thanks for having me, Anthony. Absolutely. You know, I would raise my virtual mimosa to that. Um, I also found telehealth services during the pandemic. And like you said, I don't have the female and I don't have the person of color, but trying to find someone who understood, I'm only five years into blindness, as a lot of people know, who understood, you know, vision or just disability in general, LGBTQ, you know, losing the sense of masculinity and, and my sense of, of being able to take care of myself. I, I found it rather difficult that therapists were afraid to take me on. I went through three or four intakes till I found someone that felt comfortable talking to me before we even got started talking. But I'm going to segue over to Jesse Rail, who runs some of the mental well-being or the well-being calls for ACB community and um, is here to also add perspective from a personal standpoint, but, you know, guided through the lenses of someone who works in the mental health community. Jesse, welcome. Same questions. I could talk about this subject forever, so I'm going to try <laughs> my best to be brief. But um, I began in... Um, 1980, in the 1980s, uh, working in the mental health capacity. And over the past 30, 40 years, I've seen tremendous changes. It used to be that, you know, somebody who had schizophrenia or somebody who had severe depression, somebody who had bipolar disorder was immediately assumed to be dangerous um, and, and, unsafe and should basically be locked up. We fortunately moved away from a lot of that. Um, and now I find that people who have mental health issues, it's 
more akin to what we who are blind uh, experience. You know, people don't really understand. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to interact. They don't want to say the wrong thing um, because they don't want to make the situation worse. <laughs> so and, and mental health issues are very much like you know, if you put 10 visually impaired blind people in a room uh, and you ask, you know, what can you see or what is life like for you? You're going to get 10 different answers and they're going to be, yeah. they're going to be hugely different. You know, some people can see quite well. Some people can't see anything. Uh, some people are extremely independent. Uh, some people not so much. And so people who have mental health issues are pretty much the same way. Um, some people are severely, severely, severely affected. Some people are affected, but not too much. So, but the positive thing is that, you know, at least people with mental illness are not assumed to all be dangerous and, and all just need to be locked up. Um, we have a long way to go in terms of understanding and especially making diagnosis. And I will tell you that people um, who are not Caucasian, people who are African-American, Native American, yeah. um, the, the, the Spanish culture, and people in the lesbian, gay, especially, especially trans, transgender communities are usually overnight misdiagnosed and they often are not understood. Um, many times Native Americans, for example, are diagnosed with schizophrenia because they talk about, you know, the spiritual world and, and yeah. talking to their spirits and different things like that. Um, African Americans are very often diagnosed with bipolar disorder because, you know, they, they present themselves differently than do Caucasians. And especially transgender people are still considered to be yeah. psychologically, <laughs> um, it's a problem. And it just wasn't until uh, a couple years ago that they actually took those labels out of the DSM-5 um, yeah. when they came out. Yeah. So, you know, you used to have gender dysphoric syndrome a person who was gay or lesbian or transgender. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, <laughs> listeners of Sunday Edition, you know, may remember that we did Losing Sight Midlife for a few months. Uh, we really explored that topic. Um, it may be Mental Health Awareness Month, but Sunday Edition is, is going to explore the different tangents of, of this conversation in the next couple of months. I have one question for you before I go on to our next panelist. As a professional um, and, and having visual impairment, have you experienced, you know, feelings of your colleagues and those, you know, around you, maybe not taking you as seriously or thinking that maybe you can't produce the same quality or amount of work as, as the other, as the others in your sphere because of your disability? Well, this is very interesting. I have always had a hugely high client caseload um, and, and clients a, a very good show rate. 
Most of my clients, however, have been people of diverse cultures for myself. And I'm, I'm blind and, and Caucasian. So most of my clients have been, you know, African-American or other uh, ethnicities. Um, they may have had disabilities. I haven't really worked with a lot of people who had disabilities. And I had a huge population of gay and lesbian transgender clients. So, um, so most Caucasian people without other disabilities or cultural diversities did not seem to choose to come to me. They, they tended to go to my colleagues. My colleagues, however, have not ever treated me as an equal. Um, they refer clients to me. They often defer to other people, even when they're supposed to be <laughs> deferring to me. Um, yeah. and, and that has been extremely difficult. Yeah, I, you know, in my research, I've, I've found that sentiment all over the place and it, it saddens me even more. We go, <laughs> the, the public at large doesn't understand that for every task that we do, it's three to five and sometimes even 10 steps more than somebody with sight. And so if we've made it all the way through, earned degrees, gone through internships, case hours, et cetera, et cetera, you know you're getting somebody good at that point. It boggles my mind. But yeah. we will be back with Jesse in a little while. Uh, Mr. Jeff Tom, sometimes you can call him Jeffrey, I'm told, but um, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm going to throw the same three questions out to you. Okay, so... <clears throat> I thank you, um, Anthony. I am from Sacramento, out here on the West Coast. I, when it comes to something uh, positive, um, I think that during the pandemic, my healthcare plan had some uh, telehealth benefits that I could take advantage of and I'm not talking about um, videos to my doctor I'm talking about counseling telehealth and I was in a situation where we had um, you know uh, we had uh, people that had to move in with us and it was not necessarily the easiest thing for me to adapt to all the changes in, in the way life is um, and so it came at a good time for me um, I, I wish it was a more complete benefit, but, um, it was still a good, you know, benefit to have. And it helped me in another way, um, in that it, I, I, I and maybe I'll get into a little bit of that later, but in, in some ways I have had an anti-counseling bent to my, um, even though I understand its importance, I, uh, I was a little bit, you know, anti-counseling for other reasons. And this, I think, moderated that. Um, negative, I think, goes to the fact that we have, in my view, sort of two major swaths of people in our community with mental health concerns. There's those who are, sorry about the background. We just, the door just got this answer. We had um, people who are, have suffered recent vision loss and they have all the stigmas and the isolation and all that to deal with and then we have those that have more congenital issues that 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 you know 
their blindness may not even be the central issue for them. It may just be, you know, one of some behavioral condition that they have. But for both of those, and then of course there's all the segments of the, you know, people from other ethnicities and the LGBT community and all that. But um, for all of those groups within our community, there are so few resources that really understand our issues and that can really be of the appropriate level of assistance to our yeah. community. And I'd like to see more local um, funding of um, peer support and other types of mental health projects devoted specifically to people with vision loss. So that's that's my negative. Thank you. My, my next three panelists have been rather open about who they are and their journeys through mental health issues. So I'd first like to introduce Lynn Coates, who many of you may know from a lot of the community calls. And she is one of the moderators of the Facebook community page. Thank you so much for all that you do. Lynn, welcome to Sunday edition. And you know, again, same three questions. What brought you here today? And give us a negative and a positive in, in your life. Okay. Uh, thank you, Anthony. And uh, hello to everybody out there. Um, what brought me here was I have been uh, struggling with depression uh, for years. Um, it came to a head probably um, about a, a few months ago. Um, and then the anxiety kicked in with it. And uh, so what brought me here today was I wanted to, if I could help one person, just one person to know that you can, you, you can um, learn how to manage your depression and put it into remission with the right, um, hopefully the right uh, combination of counseling and a good psychiatrist and a lot of friends um, and in programs like this. Uh, it's, it's, that's why I came on. If, if I could just get the message out to one person, um, that is my goal. Um, what the positive is, uh, I have received a lot of support from this community. Um, I have made a lot of friends that have helped me through this, through the pandemic and through the depression itself and the anxiety. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, um, I can walk around my park, but I'm afraid to leave my house. Um, I, I, not because of the pandemic. But I get so anxious, I talk myself out of it. And it's, you know, it's really hard, you know, it's affected my life. So I've, I've gotten a lot of support from that. Um, and because of all that, I decided to go to um, get help, more help, and I'm now going to have what's called transcranial magnetic stimulation. And I hope this works. Um, and the negative, um, I think the negative aspect of it is um, it has affected my, I guess, my professional life. Um, I, 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 I have let things slide and it's just, I don't want to get out of bed, so I don't do them. So then I got to tell people why I let it slide and I become known as a flake. So that's the negative part. 
you know, before I move on to our next guest, you are very vocal about your struggles. Um, I, I've participated in some conversations on Facebook where people are rather unkind. Um, people have even gone so far as to say, you know, why are you sharing this, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Could you tell us a, a little bit about some of the feedback that you've gotten along the way? And why is it important for you to be as vocal as you are? About I want, I'm, I, the reason why I'm vocal is when people say, why should I share this? I want people to understand that even though, you know, you may have a mental illness and it's okay to be vocal about it. It's not something that should be stigmatized. And just because we are blind, it doesn't mean that's why we have a mental illness. Yep. You know, you know what I'm saying? I've had more counselors say to me, well, you're blind and I know that has nothing to do with it. Um, and when people tell me not to share it, I'll do one of two things. I'll let them know that I will share it or honestly, I just, you know, remove them as friends. I don't need it. Well, I, for one, I'm very thankful that you share, you know, your triumphs, your lows. Um, it shows both sides of it and it definitely shows we're, we're all people. We're all struggling yeah. with something at some point or many points. And that doesn't take away from our, our professional and our personal triumphs. It doesn't make the things that we applaud and we celebrate any less. It doesn't, it doesn't take away the humanity to, to admit to being, you know, in a place where you're vulnerable or you need more than what your own emotional, you know, base can give you. Right. So Lynn, please stick around. Um, <laughs> Margie, Margie, Margie Donovan, who is a staunch, staunch supporter of the show. I'm so glad you're here, Margie. Same questions to you. Thank you, Anthony. I'm, I'm just so delighted to be here today. Um, the reason I came is because, or the reason I asked to be a part of it is because to me, mental health issues, if they're managed, to the best of one's ability, um, we are normal operating people. To me, a mental health issue is no different than me breaking my leg. I'm wearing a cast. I'm very open about my mental health issues. Um, my primary mental health issue, and I, I'm so excited to get the opportunity to talk about this, is alcoholism. And um, I've been in a recovery program for four and a half years. God bless. I am 59 Wonderful. years old. So it took me a very long time to get there. And I grew up in a family that's alcoholic. And unfortunately, it, as a general rule of thumb, our society sees substance abuse of any kind as a choice. And yeah. it is not a choice. I'm it was a choice for me to pick up that first drink, not knowing where it was going to take me. Um, I've also had some panic attacks, which I'll talk about later. But also around alcoholism, you don't just get sober. It's a whole mental health issue. You go through reprogramming how you, as, as a practicing alcoholic, we get into some pretty bad behaviors. And the one that's the most obvious to me is a need to control. And so by being in a program, we use the 12-step process to work through and identify and work on those issues. 
Um, I fortunately have had very good therapists. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that therapist is like shopping for a hairdresser. Yeah. You try it. If you don't, you can go a couple times. If it doesn't work out, go find another. Um, and I would say two things were negative for me. One is certainly the severe panic attack I had at one point in my life, which I'll talk about later. But the last therapist I saw, we worked together for a number of years and she was a LCSW and I really liked her. And we were working on some very specific issues and I was not sober when I um, began with her or when I was with her. When I told her, and again, we had a great working relationship. When I told her I needed to quit drinking, I wanna quit drinking and I'm probably gonna have to go to AA. Her response is, you're not an alcoholic. And that, those words were enough to make me never to go back to her. Because at that point, I needed her to know that I was an alcoholic and not to deny that factor. And to me, if a therapist is going to, not, to, to deny a factor when a client brings something up that they want to work on, that's not the therapist for me. Um, and that's all I have to say for this part of the show. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. And last and certainly not least, um, Mark Reichert, first vice president of ACB and a recent show guest who spoke a lot about his personal journey. Mark, welcome back to Sunday Edition. Same three questions to you. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's uh, a pleasure to be back. Wow, uh, where to start? Um, I suppose any of the sort of details that uh, I might share in summary today, we, we went into them in some grave, grave and happy detail uh, on, on the last show that I uh, was on with you. So I'll sort of weave in and out of those, uh, but sticking more to the sort of the big picture stuff, um, you know, the negative piece, I think, uh, you know, some, some of us have had the privilege of working in positions or being in positions that have a certain amount of exposure. Uh, in, in 2019, uh, it meant the world to me that the ACB membership elected me to the first VP position, but that, that's not the only thing that I've I've, I've done uh, when things really kind of hit the proverbial fan with me in September of late September of 2019. I was a I was a co-chair of five different task forces or one of the large committees of the the main sort of disability coalition, the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities. Uh, I, I remain today a co-chair of one of them. It took a little while to get back in there. Uh, namely the, the technology committee, but yours truly was was one of the co-chairs of the civil rights group, of the employment and training group, which has everything in the world to do with vocational rehab and issues along those lines, uh, a, a task force having to do with financial security and issues along those lines. So you get you get the picture. And when when you are when you're in those positions uh, and you're happy. Uh, you're, you're loving it and you feel like you can really make some things happen. Uh, but when something like a serious mental health related thing comes to a head, in my case, a 
very you know, situationally uh, induced, really severe depression. Uh, when that happens, my gosh, all you seem to want to do is to want to hide. But unfortunately, yeah. because of the positions that you're in, you can't. Uh, and 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 so it's one thing, I suppose, if you're the lone kiddo at the back of the class and then people say, well, gee, we haven't seen Johnny in a while. If you're the kiddo who's always, for better or worse, got his little hand up or wants to be the kid up with his hand up in the front of the class or thinking that you deserve to be on up there, you got your pride going and you really put yourself in that position and then this sort of thing happens to you. Uh, believe me, that adds an element to all of it that is really difficult. So the irrational things that you think, gee whiz, uh, when the depression really sets in, I'm useless, nobody wants me to do this, I'm a yeah. failure. And then you hide and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, now you have disappeared. Yeah. Uh, in my case, I hardly ever let, I, I didn't really let anybody in those groups know uh, that I'd run away uh, till frankly a couple of months uh, after I was really into things. It, it was really so so bad, but it has now become a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I guess I guess Mark really is a flake. He's 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 disappeared. What the hell happened to him? So we can talk more about that later. But a positive thing, and uh, I'm not just trying to brown nose you, Anthony, uh, but I will say I've, I have a, a friend and colleague and sometime mentor. I won't out them on this call, but uh, they're on the, the the meeting with us today. Who uh, some months ago said with, I think, both the loving, uh, you know, this would be good for you, as also sort of the stick, you know, dude, you got to get out there and speak up and let people know what's going on with you. Uh, you know, I was a little bit spooked by the idea at first, uh, probably about a minute or two before we opened up the, 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 the conversation. The last time Anthony was on your show, I was probably still kind of shaking in my proverbial boots. Uh, it, but it's an it's an amazing thing. Uh, at, after that show is over, uh, it is such a liberating feeling to be able to talk about stuff and share it with people and not have them either laugh in your face or hang up on you, or especially in the aftermath, just had some really supportive and kind, uh, you know, things that were shared. So that for sure is a is a is a positive thing. My sort of shorthand way of talking about this is, wow, you really know when your friends are when the when the chips are down, and and uh, wow. so I'm really grateful for that. So thanks again for having me on, and amazing to be on with a panel like this. So thanks. Oh, thank you. Um, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better testimonial. I I, I really felt that that conversation changed the course of of Sunday edition. It changed the course of me. Um, I promised in the show, you know, in the promo that I would talk a little bit about my journey as well. Um, when, when I was growing up, I lived with a mother who was termed a functioning alcoholic. She got up at 4.30 every morning and she was the golf course manager for an exclusive club in New York. And uh, she went to work every day. However, at 2.30, 3.30, depending, 5.30, depending on whether there were golf outings, et cetera, and she was prepping to, to leave and come home, the first thing she would do would, was to go to the bar and she would take a takeout cup, picture the size of a McDonald's medium-sized cup, 
Um, and she would fill it with ice, pour in wine, put the to-go lid on and literally drink her way home and then, and then open a bottle. And so for me, I grew up not thinking this was normal. In fact, there were quite a few instances in, in junior high and high school where um, I, I, you know, almost broke down more than once. And, and I unfortunately wrongly shared with a teacher something thinking that I would get avenues of help. Uh, and that didn't go very well. And so when I got to college, uh, you know, I was on a partial scholarship for baseball and, and had amazing grades. I graduated with a 385 from Austria University. Um, but when I, you know, when I got there, I found that the thing I had wanted all those years to escape and to, to finally have my life um, actually became, all of a sudden I developed anxiety and, and other uh, pieces of depression. And so when I went <laughs> for help, I, I was given a 15 minute consultation, told you're bipolar and immediately given a prescription for Xanax. Um, that didn't work for me. Um, not that medication can't help. Um, and, and later on in the conversation, I'm sure we'll have the magic medication conversation. It doesn't cure all, it will just level you out. But you know, 15 minutes of talking to someone and here, take these pills, it'll make you all better. Hey, I'll see you in three weeks and we'll make sure that the medication, you know, isn't causing any major side effects. Good luck. Um, that, it, that was a very negative experience for me. Um, you know, I searched around and, and I found some um, pastoral advice, uh, took, you know, took the pills and flushed them and, and decided I would figure out what behaviors were adding to my anxiety, what was triggering things and, and, you know, went through a lot of conversation about who and what I am and how and why I am these ways. You know, when you grow up the child of an alcoholic, there are roles that you can assume and, and I know which role I assumed and it's been with me all my life. Um, you know, I, after losing my eyesight, I kept going for quite some time, orientation, mobility, you know, learning the technology so that when all those things started to settle down and, and I had, you know, gone over the, the crest of the hill of learning the things that I would need to, to learn, I suddenly had a lot, a lot of time just to be with me. And luckily a very beautiful black lab from Guide Dog Foundation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but unfortunately conversation with a black lab is as satisfying as having them there doesn't necessarily um, help you in a therapeutic sense. And, and too much time inside my own head gave me the, the push to know I need to go back for some some formal form of counseling. And it was the best decision I've ever made. I I will not go so far as to say that, you know, I'm over anything. I don't I think you don't ever get over the things that that the traumas in in, in your life that that help you to become who you are. But I've learned a lot of what I need to know about those traumas and about how my reactions and and how I deal with the outside world and also the inner world, you know, the voices inside Anthony's head. And there are a couple of them, but, you know, they don't tell me any scary things. Don't worry. You can all be in a room with me, <laughs> but how to manage the voices in Anthony's own head. Um, so that's a little about me. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll share some more as we go along, but let's open the conversation up to the actual stigma of it. And, and I'd love to hear, you know, from the panelists, when they 
when they were at their darkest moment, was the stigma of needing help, was the the having to admit that maybe, you know, you're not quite a rock star or, and there are so many versions. I, I don't want to go through all the, the, the versions of, but knowing that you were going to be in a, in a setting where this was going to be therapeutic and, and ongoing, how did you get over the fears? What, what was that process like for you? And I think let's go backwards. Um, Mark, you can start us off and then we'll go to uh, Margie and, and so on and so forth. Wow. Uh, tough question. I, I, I think the honest answer is that I was feeling so low and had such a bankrupt feeling about who I was, what had I done, what had I not done, how have I treated people? Frankly, my both rational and irrational feelings about how folks had treated me and letting that go crazy. I thought I was, I was so low that maybe I was, I was too low to even think about the stigma of needing help because from a certain sense, yeah, you deserve the stigma, Mark. Uh, why, you know, why, 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 why shouldn't you feel shame? That's entirely appropriate given who you are and what you've done. And that's a, I'll just leave it at that. It's a terribly, terribly bleak and black place to be a, a total sense of almost utter helplessness. I, mean, I don't think this is too over the top. I'm not so sure in in this side, on this side of the veil, that we ever get any closer glimpse to what hell is like, uh, because that's honestly exactly how I felt. Thank you. Marjorie? Would you please repeat the question? In that moment where, you know, you were teetering on knowing that it, it was time to reach out for help, what, what was the process like for you? Well, I've reached out for help a lot of times. I am a firm believer that therapy is kind of like maintaining a car, but it's for your mind. And um, gosh, in the early 80s, when I was a young adult, late teens, it was my first outreach for help. But when it came to my alcoholism, and I, I wanted to, there's, there's several different types of alcoholism. I happen to be a very functional alcoholic. My drinking never started until after I was off work. And um, I started prior to, so just, just a little bit about me and how I deal with things in my life that I need to change it or major like that. I set a date. And when I set that date, and it, it has nothing to do with New Year's, just to be clear, because I don't I do not do resolutions. But my goal was to stop drinking on January 2nd. And guess why? I wanted to party on New Year's Eve and uh, New Year's. <laughs> and that date came and I moved it up one more day because it was uh, it was a really weird situation where New Year's Day was on a Monday or something. And everything else I've done in my life, um, like I used to be a smoker, I quit smoking. Um, I used to smoke pot, I quit smoking pot. 
I haven't had a challenge with, but I, I wanted to see this therapist to get some information. We had met about six times and my date came that I was supposed to quit drinking and I quit. The very next day I was at Trader Joe's doing shopping and I picked up, picked up a bottle of wine. Good thing I only picked up one because usually I'll drink two or three historically. And um, the next day I felt so devastated. I let myself down. And again, I'm still not understanding the disease. Yeah. And I feel like I let myself down and that I was a failure. And it was topped off by when I went back to see the therapist, I told her I didn't make it. And her response was, how does it feel like to be wrong? And I just bursted out in tears. And I said, this is not about being right and wrong. And um, this is about a serious issue in my life, which clearly I have no control over. And I don't understand it. I've been so successful every time I want to, you know, quit something else. And it happened to just work out because I really wasn't happy with her after that. And the next session I talked to her about it and she was apologetic. But that was like a huge stomp on a broken foot. And um, it was that point where I said to my partner, who happens to be a male, I'm I'm heterosexual. And I said, "I, I need to go to AA and I'd like you to come with me. And so the next day we went to an AA meeting and he sat there and held my hand through the first four meetings I went to and I sobbed through every one of them. And I say that because it's important if anybody goes into AA to really realize, because we don't get this as blind people, almost every woman that goes into AA sobs through the first several meetings. So while I'm in my meeting, I am terrified, I am shaking, and I'm not shaking from withdrawals because I haven't withdrawn yet. (laughs) Actually, I didn't even have shakes. Um, So I I just, I knew what I had to do and and what they say really works, keep coming back. Because I didn't have the tools on my own. And I didn't understand alcoholism, even though I grew up with it. I did. I, I thought it was a choice. And um, so it was hard. It was very hard at first. And for the first two years, I didn't tell people about it, except my physicians and people like that. I wanted to make sure that I would be successful. And there's no guarantee of successful. People go out after 20 years. Um, I God, every day that I do not go out, I have no desire. And when I do, I use my serenity prayer. And um, the first, it was just so hard that first year because everything we did that had alcohol associated, like go to theater, we, we would, you know, pay yeah. for drinks and we'd bring extra drinks to add to it. And everything I faced brought so much anxiety to me. And um, I just did the serenity prayer, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control, the courage. Oh, I'm forgetting it now because I'm 
<laughs> the courage to take the change, the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> Thank you. The courage You're to welcome. change the I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And I added on to it and the willingness to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And simple little prayer has worked so many times in my life and not even just associated with my alcoholism. And um, I just want to make a statement. And I remember this from in grad school. And I cannot quote the numbers, but in the blindness community alone, there's a very high rate of alcoholism. Alcoholism, yep. And I think a lot of that is, um, you know, we come home from work. What do we, I, I did, I did. By the way, I want to go back and say I raised my son. Uh, I split up with his dad when he was six, and we did co-parent. And he witnessed some of the alcoholism. Well, he witnessed it all. What am I saying? Some of it, and. Um, and um, he's not in therapy over it. Unfortunately, I think he's heading down that same path. And all I can do, you know, it's, a, it's genetics. Doesn't mean everybody gets it. But I, I just pray about it. That's all I can do is just turn it over to God because I have no control over anybody except myself. And that's the most valuable lesson I learned in yep. my is I can only control myself. But it's always a work in process. I will always face this situation. I want to quickly switch and talk about a panic attack I had. Um, and this was way before I quit drinking. This was over, I'm not going to get into detail, something that was going on at work. And it was extremely stressful. It, it had to do with an injury. And um, they forced me back to work. I was in a hotel in San Francisco. I came home from work and all of a sudden, I felt this attack coming on. Never had a panic attack before. And I had to get out of the building. And I got out of the building. And at that time, I was still smoking. So what did I do? Light up a cigarette. Mm -hmm. I knew there was a hospital across the street and down the street a little bit. And I got myself over there. I actually didn't recognize the back. I thought I was having a heart issue because your heart races. And if you've had a panic attack, yeah. it, 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 it affects everything. So I walk in and I hear nobody and I'm literally screaming, I need help. I'm having a heart attack. I need help. And some security guard came up and escorted me over to the proper place. And, you know, they did everything and no heart attack. And the one thing they did right. As soon as they got me in there, they gave me a prosalem, which is generic for Valium. And um, now I keep that with me at all times. I was doing a deposition the other morning. And at the very last minute, very last minute, I was all prepped. I had a panic attack. And fortunately, I had 10 minutes. I popped a half a prosalem into me and perfectly fine. And um, she's Sometimes drugs help, sometimes drugs don't. With, with my alcoholism, I never went through a detox. I never had to do drugs. Um, although I was a very heavy blackout drinker every night. Thank you, Anthony. I, I think I want to step in for a moment before we go to Lynn. Um, one of the things that, that bothers me about alcoholism and substance abuse is, you know, there's that that feeling out there like, hey, you know, I can party like a rock star. And, you know, I did it all through college. I went up, I got up and went to class every day. I didn't become an alcoholic. And and that's that's the point. We don't all become alcoholics. It, there is definitely a genetic component to it. Um, 
and and we don't give license to substance abuse being on the mental health spectrum as much as we should because you know hey there's plenty of people out there that can have as many drinks as they want go to bed and and wake up tomorrow and never crave another drink if they don't drink another drink the rest of their lives they're fine you know so but that's wanna... not go ahead, yeah. No, I was just going to say that that's not how it is for, no, you know, for a portion yeah. of the population. And we have to understand, it, you know, across all of, of the mental health spectrum, it's somewhat the same. You know, somebody who's diagnosed schizophrenic may have, you know, voices and cover their, their windows in tinfoil because they're having paranoia, paranoia episodes. Whereas mm -hmm. another person, you know, has a mild case and, and functions rather well and, and their level of paranoia does not hinder their functionality, et cetera, et cetera. But they're still both schizophrenics. You know, we, we, right. you know, we tend to only look at the craziest of the craziest, God forgive me for, this, for the, you know, the phrasing, but we tend to look at the craziest of the crazies as that's what this is. I'm bipolar. I don't have severe um, depressive episodes, thank God. I, I now realize I've had some severe mania episodes, but you know, I felt like, well, I'm a rock star. I'm, I'm doing two jobs. I'm making all kinds of money. I'm partying like a rock star. So, you know, this is just normal life. This is what happens when you're, you know, when you're doing well. No, 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 no. People don't stay three days up, three days straight, you know, whether there were chemicals involved or not. And more often than not, there weren't chemicals involved. I was just so high on life so high on on producing at my job and paying my bills and buying fabulous $200 pairs of jeans, you know, I didn't recognize mania. Um, Margie, if you wanted to comment back and then we'll go to Lynn. Sure, I wanna talk just, uh, I wanna say two things. That not everybody's an alcoholic and not everybody's an alcoholic that comes from an alcoholic household. Just some Absolutely. And some don't. And the different, and I, it's important because a lot of non-alcoholics think that we judge them when they're drinking. And I don't judge people when they're drinking. Um, it's, if you're an alcoholic, that's your problem, not mine. I can't control that. I could hopefully serve as an example of someone who has been sober. But I want to describe the difference between a normal drinker and an alcoholic. It's a very important distinction. It has nothing to do with frequency or quantity. There, as I said earlier, there's all different types of alcoholic. When I, can't, when I take a sip of wine, I have to take the rest. And one, one clear symptom is I, I drink twice as much as anybody else because I drink it quickly. It turns on that part of my brain that says more, 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 more. And that's why we can never as alcoholics ever pick up another drink because we'll be all over again. And a normal drinker that's not an alcoholic, their brain's not doing that. They could have, you know, six glasses of wine because they choose to. But the next night, they may choose not to drink. I never had that choice not to drink the next night. And yeah. we have a lot of homeless people out there. And a lot of our homeless people is directly related to alcoholism and um, drug addiction. And there's a lot of judgment that goes on. And, and I think they say one out of every three alcoholics ever make it into the rooms of AA or any other similar type program out there. 
Um, I just had a friend die of it. And it's an ugly thing to watch someone die of. And I, I thank God every day that my direction was to go into an AA meeting that God, I do believe that God directed me there. I'm not a super religious person. I am a believer. I'm a very spiritual person. And so that, that's really what I wanted to distinguish the difference between a regular drinker. You know, people go, well, I can have two glasses of wine and stop. I physically not. Thank you. Thank you. Lynn. All right. So could you refresh me on the question again, please? <laughs> those moments where, you know, you were teetering on needing on knowing that you needed more than what you could give yourself as far as help for, for your mental. Well, you know, I've tried to get therapy for years. I mean, I could probably speak therapy lingo. Okay. And in every therapist I've ever had, they just, they never clicked and, and it just, they never, I've never found one. And still to this day, haven't found one that, I can really work with um, and the pandemic didn't help. But when I got to the lowest of lows was last year and um, Mark was talking about, you know, how you feel like you're a failure and you've been on so many projects and that was me. And I, you know, I, I didn't want to let it go, but yet I didn't finish projects and I didn't finish them on time. And I worried about what everybody thought. And I still do for the most part. And it got so bad that I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to do anything that meant to care of myself. Um, when I was in guide dog school, when I was at the seeing eye, I made it through it. Okay. But when I got home, um, I lost my cat due to a caregiver did not watch her eating. So I had to put her to sleep. So that just sent me back down the rabbit hole as it were. And I didn't want to live anymore. You know, I didn't want to kill myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying no. I'm suicidal. Cause I want no, people to know so that many right of us now. get to that point. No, I exactly. didn't want to live you anymore. Can, and I still still yeah. have those days. Right now. I don't want to wake up. I won't kill right. myself, but I don't want to. I don't want to wake I up. I wish I could just go to sleep and be done. Yeah. Right. And because um, I'm working on this project now, um, I don't want to let it go. But yet, I know that um, it's like if I let it go, I feel like I'm a failure. Uh, I'm I'm a flake because um, I want to be. I want to do well in ACB. I want to work with ACB. I want to, you know, promote the things that we believe in. But the project that I'm working on, can I still do it? You know, and then I feel like, um, you know, or I feel like, I feel like sometimes, even when I'm on community events, am I well? Am I wanted here? Do people want me on this call? I mean, that's where it goes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I said in the show notes, you know, when you're not alone, people do want you here. People, people want to feel your triumph when you, when you overcome the, 
the dark inside you that says you can't finish your project or you shouldn't be on this call. You know, they say in AA that, you know, eventually you'll hear your own story. And that's part of why I wanted to do this first conversation this way, because I want listeners who are out there who are struggling that might possibly hear something close to their own story or their own story. Hey, hey, could you pause and mute yourself, please? Well, to hear their own story. Yeah. Just to finish the thought. But I want those who luckily don't have any mental health issues to hear stories in a personal way. And to understand that we're all people and we're all people that go up and go down, have highs, have lows, and that doesn't take any of our humanity away from us. Go one, ahead, more, one more thing really quick. Um, I just want to say, and I'm admitting this here for the first time, the mental health is not only depression and anxiety, but I struggle with two different addictions. And The first one has to do with, it's called a cross addiction. I used to shop for clothes and then I had my bypass and now I shop for food. Can I eat all of it? No. The second addiction that I'm just realizing that I have, and I can't believe I'm even admitting this, is to hydrocortone. I was taking it for pain and I realized that I may have an addiction to it. And now I'm trying to reach out for help for that. So Addictions do go along with mental health. Um, I'm shaking just admitting that because I've never admitted that to anyone. But it's it needs to be said because we all have different issues we're dealing with. Um, I'm 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 sorry. I'm I'm proud. I'm proud that you know you feel safe enough to say that here. Um, and hopefully we can talk offline and, and those of us on this call who may have resources can will talk offline. Thank you. I just I just want to help one person. If you think I shouldn't I have shared that, that's that fine. Way. No, no, I think we all feel that way. We want to help one person. Okay. Uh, uh, Thank you. Yeah. So, wow. Um, I gotta leave the show. Um, Jeff, let's uh let's pull you back out and um you know, you, I'm going to switch it up a little bit with you. You, you mentioned earlier that you um, had a, a, an aversion for, for any kind of counseling. And I'm wondering, is that rooted in family structure? Is it rooted in, Hey guys, don't need help. What, what could you talk a little about that for us? Sure. Um, and I think it, um, it leads into where I was really going to go anyway. Um <laughs> Not that I don't have my own issues, but I also have a family member with a fairly serious mental health condition. And I think, plus the fact that, you know, I'm an attorney, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I'm the sort of person that wants things to get done. So, you know, counseling from what I want it to be should be something that is going to move the needle forward and is going to make a real change you know other people want counseling to to create stability to create you know the sort of thing that keeps them together and so um i think that led in great part to me having sort of an anti-counseling viewpoint um and and i think you know at, at a broader level one as a family member you can fully understand from an intellectual perspective 
that, you know, uh, mental health, that the depression is a condition, that it's certainly not anything that the individual can really do anything about. But despite that, your resentments build up because it's it's so natural, um, you know, when you're living with it to, you know, it's, it's really hard to avoid feelings. And then, when, of course, when you build up resentments, then the other person resents back because it's like, well, you don't understand my condition because that's what you're illustrating to them. That's what you're sort of indicating, even though you may well understand it. And so I think that um, it is extremely difficult, um, not only for the person who has the condition, but for people that they live with to, you know, uh, to handle those conditions and to give. And you also need to understand that you can't solve the problems for the other person. Um, yep. You know, you, the, the, the really it's beyond your capability to handle and you have to be able to live with that. And I think at one level, the more you get frustrated at it, the more you resent them even more. So, you know, I, I come from that perspective and that's a very difficult thing to live with and to be, you know, decent to the other person about. Jess, I'm going to skip over you and go to Caitlin, um, because I'm at the end of this, I'm going to ask you to respond to anything that you've heard that you think you, you want to respond to. But Caitlin, you've also been very vocal about your entire life. You're, you know, you're a rock star in our community. I know we don't like to be patted on the back. Um, but, you know, when I was first coming to the community and saw things on Facebook and heard people talk about you, you were one of the people that I looked to and said, all right. Well, I mean, if she's doing all this, I, you know, I want to be her and beyond. Um, so if you can, you know, share a little bit about your experiences about, you know, sharing your highs and lows and, and what, you know, what you've taken away from, you know, from being as vocal as you have been out there. Sure. Yeah. And thank you for those kind words. And I, I think part of the reason I am vocal is because I want everybody to know that, you know, as much as I like to think it is, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? We have to, we have to go through, we all go through our struggles. Um, so I won't go into too much, certainly no graphic detail, but um, my lowest point uh, was when I was a freshman at college, um, very early in the school year, I was assaulted. I was a very young 18 year old uh, kid, um, totally blind since birth. So I think I, I feel safe in saying that I lived a pretty sheltered, protected life. Um, so it was a very rude awakening. Um, I was in college about an hour and a half from where I lived. So my folks were close enough, um, but also not you know super close. And that was kind of what I liked about it, right? I wanted that taste of independence, but to not be so far away that I um, couldn't yeah. go back. I wanted to, um, but it, and, and thankfully, you know, it's, it's not helpful, of course, to quantify or qualify, but it was not a violent assault. I was not injured, but I was just feeling very, very vulnerable, um, in my blindness and being somewhere where I didn't know anybody yet. I hadn't really made any friends that were super close. Um, and I was afraid to tell them because I thought they would feel 
either really sorry for me or just be really dismissive and be like, well, that just, that kind of thing just happens all the time, right? It's college, get over it. Um, I didn't know how they would take it. And I felt like either reaction would be very hurtful. Um, but I was really having a hard time. I was always like, you know, a very social outgoing person. I was so excited to be at college and I'd really been like tearing it up and going to all the things and trying to meet people, but I didn't want to leave my room. I was like, you know, the, the person who had done this to me lived in my dorm building and I knew I wouldn't know if he was around. Um, and I didn't want to report him because I felt like it hadn't been a big enough um, aggression, right. That people would just be like, well, you know, it's not a big deal. And then what if he found out and was mad? Like there were just so many things, right. That get in the way of trying to get help, um, and trying to figure out what to do. Um, and, and in terms of going to therapy, I did want to go, but that was where I went. Right. And I did go for an intake appointment and they kind of just asked these stock questions, like, you know, are you yeah. suicidal? Are you feeling unsafe? Like, and I wasn't, but the piece that I was having trouble articulating was, that it was for the first time in my life really making me resent my blindness and that my blindness had, you know, to my mind, whether or not it's true, you know, made me a target and was, was enabling people to see me as vulnerable. Um, and that's really hard, right. For an 18 year old to name. Um, and that's where you need a professional to step in and be like, let's, let's unpack this, the intersectionality. Yep. Right. Um, but I was not able to access that. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the, the piece that I'm really now passionate about is that I think as adults and as and now as a teacher of kids with disabilities, it's, it's on us to make sure that kids feel like, and young people, and really anybody, feel like they can come to us with these things and not be turned away or not, you know, be told, oh, but you're so capable. You're so, we're looking to you to be this shiny example of blindness or whatever the thing is, because everybody struggles. Nobody is completely independent, right? We all need help sometimes. So I think that's really my torch that I like to carry is this, this knowledge that accessing therapy is hard. And we don't like to think that, that the hard things are going to happen, especially at the hands of, you know, other people to disabled people. People don't want to think about that. It's upsetting but it happens. The statistics are there. They are very, very difficult and kids need to know and to know how to, you know, yes, how to say no, but also how to reach out if things like this happen um, and to know that it's not their fault. There, there's so many pieces and I could go on and on, but I think um, that really my main takeaway is for us, you know, as adults and folks who know younger blind people is to give them this information so that they have it and that they know this is unfortunately a thing that sometimes happens and here's what you can do. And you can always talk to me, right? I am here. I will listen. I will not judge you. And I will ask you what you need. Mm -hmm. And Caitlin, um, you and I are going to, are going to speak going forward. Um, and we're going to get to know you as a person and, and your life journey um, in a couple of weeks. But when we revisit this topic again um, in, in August, it will be surrounding that, that conversation. Um, and so I just want the listeners out there to know that this is not the only conversation and uh, all the folks on the panel are, are more than welcome to come back. I'm, I want to unpack a lot of the more specific side or you know underlying conversations. Today was a a let's get to you know to the heart of the matter and let's share our personal experiences so that those out there who may you know need more inspiration to reach out for help will have a place to start. Um, 
Jesse, so as you have listened to all of our personal stories, what stood out to you? Wow. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for sharing their stories, but especially Jeff, Lynn, and Marjorie, and Katie, you know, talking about very personal, painful issues. Um, the thing that actually got my interest in mental health and psychology is I was pro- <laughs> I was referred to as the school psychologist um, because when I went to a residential school and when we had other students there with developmental disabilities or mental illness, they always seemed to come to me to talk or just walk around. Uh, campus and probably because I was always happy to walk around and listen um, (laughs) to people. Um, Also, as I got into college, I wanted to pursue a couple other careers, but they really were going to require more sight, um, or I thought so at the time. And so I kept falling back on the mental health. I had a really extensive history of being sexually, verbally, and physically abused as a child. Not so much uh, my family was verbally abusive, but the physical and the sexual abuse was very extensive from the residential school. So, you know, I wanted to help people who had been in horrible traumatic situations because I could relate to that. Obviously, I didn't know how they felt, but I could certainly relate. And so when I got my first, uh, not my first job in the mental health, but um, working at the mental health center, I was also in my master's degree for counseling. And I knew at some point that I needed to go through therapy. I needed to see a therapist um, to talk about these issues of abuse so that when I heard other people's stories, it didn't throw me over. So, um, but you know, I had a plan. It was gonna take me three years to get that master's degree and then to become licensed. So I thought, well, you know, I've got three years to do this. I don't need to worry about it. So in the first six months, about the fifth month, my supervisor came to me and he said, you know, he said, you do a fabulous job with your clients and work, and they love you, but the staff do not. I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with me. It's their problem. (laughs) And he was like, oh, this is one of the problems. So he said, what I want you to do is go see a counselor, a psychologist, to see if, if, you know, that would be helpful. And I said, no, I don't need that. He said, well, here's the bottom line. He said, if you do not... I would not sign off on your probation and you will not continue to work here. So it's really up to you. Oh, so I went to see the, the psychologist. He's a wonderful elderly man who had been in the field for a long time. And we talked for a little bit and he said, you know, he said, the only thing you need to probably do is work on being a little bit more diplomatic with the way you present yourself and be a little bit more assertive. <clears throat> the people don't need to receive, you know, 15, 20 emails over uh, your dissatisfaction. He said, hey, maybe you could have that in a conversation. So we talked about that and I was happy. And 
and walked out and I went back and, you know then he was like when you're such an inspiration and you, you take care of yourself and <laughs> and you're so independent and you and you do everything he said but maybe the problem is you're too independent well I went back a couple times and I said oh, would you just call my boss and tell him that we worked on these issues and I'm okay and he's going to see improvement in me and he said, sure. He said, I, I don't think you need to come back. It is really hard to tell somebody who is talking about what an inspiration you are and how wonderful you are. Yes. That you have been abused for, you know, 18 years. Um, it, it was not because I kept thinking, well, if I tell him this, I'm not going to be much of an inspiration after that. So yep. I'll just keep that a secret and I'll deal with it in my time frame. So a couple of years later, well, I, I, I kept my job and so that was a good thing. And a couple of years later, several things happened. Um, one of my abusers had died. A couple of my abusers, past abusers, kept contacting me. And a relationship that I really cared about broke up. And I was standing in my bathroom on New Year's Eve. And I said, you know what? I don't want to live anymore. And I'm not going to live anymore. I'll just deal with this issue. I had a bottle of pills in my hand and a glass of water in the other. Lid was off. And I was ready to raise it and just empty it to my mouth. And my two dogs came over. And one dog started clawing up on my lap and legs, and the other one started to cry. And I poured the pills down the, the drain. But the next day after, after New Year's was over, I called another psychiatrist whom I had worked with. And I was honest with him. I scheduled an appointment, and we proceeded with therapy. It was very, very difficult for me to do because I had to walk into the office and some of my clients were actually there. And so then they were like, well, I saw you at, you know, doctor's office and yeah, because I'm having some issues that I need to work through. <laughs> so that began my journey. But a couple of things that, um, that, I wanted to, to say, you mentioned the 2017 John Hawkins study, and that was a good study. However, in 2021, just four years later, the incidence of mental health and addictions, either, either one or the other, or comorbid together, is 50 to 75%. Of the wow. population. That means that you know people in your life who have one or the other or both. If you know more than, you know, a couple people. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know at least one. And if you know a bunch of people, you know multiples. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, people being vocal about mental illness or the problem they've had. Some people, you know, it, it's like being visually impaired. Some blind people 
like to talk about their blindness and their accomplishments and their achievements and and their frustrations. Some people with mental illness like to do the same thing. Some people, even people who are visually impaired, they don't like to talk about that. They don't want to talk about their blindness or their visual impairment. And some people with mental illness are the same way. So it's okay to be vocal. It's okay to share your experience, but you want to be really careful with that because if you become overly concerned with what people think, not everybody's going to think that it's a wonderful idea to talk about it. Some people are going to think, maybe she shouldn't share some of that. You have to make that decision for yourself. How much do you want to share and how much are you going to give other people you know, credence to tell you what to do? Um, yeah, when you're making those sharing decisions, how much power over what feedback you're going to get will affect where you are with with your actual journey. I think absolutely. is something that we really need to, to unpack and look at. Yeah. yeah. The more comfortable you are with who you are as a person, the more likely you're going to share because, frankly, you don't care what somebody else thinks. If you share that you have depression and how you cope with it, It doesn't bother you if somebody else has negative things to say because that's about them. Um, The second or the next thing is the assumption that blindness causes mental illness. In my research study to get my doctoral degree, there was no shred of evidence whatsoever that blind people are more depressed or anxious or anything else than the average population. So we're not more of anything. We're not more addicted. We're not more depressed. We're not more anxious. So blindness doesn't cause those things to happen. Blindness may contribute to it. If you recently lost your sight, certainly you're going to feel some high level of anxiety and depression. Um, the, the next thing with the connecting with therapists Do your research. Therapists come from different backgrounds and they come from different cultural approaches. Do your research. If that therapist has no experience or very little experience working with somebody of your sexual orientation, whatever it might be, find a different therapist. Because you don't want to be the person who spends your time educating this person any more than you have to. You're going to have to educate them quite a bit about, yeah. Yes. Yes. So, so, you know, don't go to somebody that you're going to literally have to spend time educating them about every aspect of your life. Um, The same thing, if you're a solutions-oriented type person like Jeff, you know, you want to, you want to move ahead. You want to get into it and move ahead. Go to somebody who specializes in solution-focused therapy because those people are only going to keep you for a brief period of time because that's what they do. If you want somebody who is more into looking at multiple behaviors and um, supporting multiple behaviors or multiple addictions or multiple things, look for somebody who does dialectical behavior therapy because that's what they do. 
So find, you know, do your research a little bit, and that will help you connect with a therapist. Then make sure that they are licensed and certified in the specific areas that you want to deal with. For example, if you're working with somebody with trauma, you want that person to be certified as a trauma therapist because trauma is, is another specialty. Um, then, you know, therapy is exactly like shopping for a hairdresser or, you know, a vet. You're not going to connect with every therapist. They're not going to connect with you. And it doesn't mean that they're not a good therapist. And there might be therapists that you can work through some issues with, but then you're going to progress and go to another therapist. A lot of my clients will come to me about mental health or trauma issues, and they will attend Celebrate Recovery or AA or NA to work with the addictions issues. Not that I can't work with the addictions issues, I can. But if we're working with trauma issues, I don't want to bring in the issue, the, the addiction issues. So to give them additional support, so it's okay. You can go to different therapists as long as, you know, you talk to the therapist and your insurance will cover it. So I think that's pretty much everything that I've had unless anybody has any questions. Well, I am definitely going to open it up for questions and comments in a few moments. Um, I know that <clears throat> Sean and Patty and possibly um, Melody were going to join us. Sean, um, do you want to say hello and, and speak for a minute? Sure. Uh, my name is Sean Thiel. I am um, ACBO's executive director. Um, and I guess when I saw that you were talking about the dealing with the stigma around uh, mental health. Um, one of the things I want people who do not have a medical or a mental health condition, uh, first of all, I'd like to say as a society, can we get rid of the term mental it's illness? Yes. Can, can we just make that go away? Because it causes so much of the problem. Yeah. This is not a zero sum game. If I have a mental health condition and you don't, it's just because I had a crappier crap Sunday than you did. It has nothing to do with who is a better person. Um, and I guess the other thing is that um, if you are someone who, kind of going back to what Jeff was talking about, if you are in that position of being a someone who lives with or is the partner of or someone who is a loved one of somebody with a mental health condition and you don't have that um we know it's a problem because we live with the problem 24 7 365 um and so we may need help from you to be part of the solution rather than it being our problem that we have to deal with on our own so if we were to be our mirror and constantly highlight it for us. We already know, thank you. Yeah, we live with it and we, uh, and most likely we've probably tried to shield you from it because we want it to stay our problem. We don't want it to be your problem. But we also know that the, um, the issues that our mental health conditions cause, for example, anxiety, my anxiety is going to affect my relationship with my partner. 
I can't change that. I can't make that go away, but there are things I can ask that person to do that can make it easier. So if we suggest something like resources or possibly therapy so that it can be easier for you to deal with our, with our stuff, because we know it's frustrating for you as the, as the loved one, the partner, the caregiver, whoever, we want you to be able to express the frustration because we know it's frustrating. So, you know, it's, it's, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done just on a societal level to show people that, you know, mental, mental health issues are, are out there, but here's how we can, here's how we can work together as a, as a society and really, because so many people say, oh, well, I, you know, you're the one with the problem. I don't have a problem or, well, that person's, you know, that person's mentally ill and I'm not, um, we need to get that out of the way that that can't continue. Yeah, I, I, I very much wish in, in a lot of areas, but especially this area, I wish we could go more back more to the it takes a village model of things where, you know, we're not alone in, in this world and we can't we can't separate pieces of us just to, you know, just to please the rest of the world or just to be able to go through the world with with less friction. Absolutely. Sean, thank you. I hope you'll stick around because like I said, I am going to open it up for, for questions and comments. Um, Patty, did you make it? Are you here, Patty? All right, Anthony, Melanie? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Anthony, really quick. This is Lynn. I just want to say because of my mental health condition, I lost a 30-year relationship because of me. Sorry. But we're good friends. But the point is, it was you know, I was just horrible, controlling, mean, you know, so yeah, it affects everyone. I just, I'm sorry, I just wanted to put that in there. Well, I, I, I do believe very much, you know, and, and this is a personal thing, I'm not, I'm not suggesting everyone has to feel this way, but I do very much believe in the tenets of the 12 steps and, oh, I you do know, too. you know, you'll get to, to a few steps that will work on that relationship and, and I, I, I pray that you have, you know, a, a sense of peace somewhere along the way for who you were and, and the things that you did that caused, you know, you, you to go from a relationship to a friendship. Yeah. Um, Patty, Melody, real quick, if you if you're if you're here, you can speak up. If not, Byron, let's um let's start looking for hands. Anthony. This is Melody. I'm here. Hi. I, and I think I heard Margie real quick. No, Margie. Let, her go, let her go first, please. All right, Melody. Okay, I don't want to take up time and take forever. I'm known to do it. I can't condense anything to save my life. Um, the main thing that I am finding is, well, there are two things. One, that if you have medical conditions and you're saying something is wrong, you're saying something hurts, you're saying something doesn't feel right, or if you've had medical training in the past or knowledge, it's, well, how do you know? You, you have schizophrenia, you have OCD, PTSD, bipolar, borderline. Well, well, thank you. I, I was the first one to know, and I don't need a reminding. And, and what does that have to do with what I'm telling you? I also yeah. survived this, that, and the other, and I have these diagnoses, and I need your help with that. I don't need a therapist. And when I'm saying this hurts, I, I am aware, and what does vision loss have to do with it? The other thing is there, there's still mistreatment going on behind the scenes today in psychiatric facilities, and I never knew that I would be a victim of it. And the, mm -hmm. the last three times were this year and they were 
three of the most traumatic and between negative experiences with the police and in those facilities now I I don't know how to get help and what to do and I, I am worse than I was before and am terrified and proving it and backing it up with proof is proving is is, is tough. I think um offline as well we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit maybe jesse can point us in some good directions to to get you some stable uh, help that will listen to you to your whole and not the pieces of you that are the problems so to speak um but i think you're very very brave for putting out to in response to what i put out there i think you're very very brave for stepping up and saying you know this is not okay and i need so thank you so much. Byron, do we have any hands? Yes, we do. Um, I see the very first person on my list is Jane. So Jane, you are already unmuted and you can go ahead and speak. Thank you very, very much. I come at all of this from the perspectives of having grown up in a family where my half-sister was a dysfunctional but oh my god how creatively a functioning drunk she was she was a great musician a great lover of anthropology she went to medical school she taught me a lot of things about music la 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 so i come at that from there also i've been around uh, addiction behaviors ptsd from family um, in the military and on and on goes the list. What I'm concerned with is how every identity in our culture is binary. It's either or, my way or the highway. And when I think about these cultural definitions, they include aging, yeah. color, class, uh, Weight. Disability. We're getting there. I have to do this alphabetically or I lose them. Aging, right. <laughs> yeah. Aging, color, class, um, culture, disability, economics, education, ethnicity, faith, gender, geography. It's a huge one. People don't pay attention to where they live or where they will live until it smacks them. Um, health, uh, money, just I'm going to just set aside the list, but I, I have it all in a, in a thing I've written about our cultural identities and how binary they can be. I think the important thing for me as a person who is totally blind, who has a twin sister who can is partially sighted, the issues around disability for us have been deep and ongoing. And, and uh, we have done a lot of conversating about the impacts of her determination to see and mine effort to say, just give it up. You've got all these other senses, let them have a part. So my final, my final thing I wanna say is that all of our identity pieces, it's up to us how to let them all 
be on our plate. They all have input. They all have an impact. They all have contributions to make. And it's up to us to truly say, I want input from you. I want to learn with you, from you, walking with you. And I really have appreciated today's conversations from people. Um, I really have. Um, that's Thank it you. for now. Anthony, this is Mark. I, the, the one, The one very short sermon I want to do here is uh, to start with an amen, thanks, Jane. Yeah. Uh, but also, also, I, I, this absolutely needs to be said. Uh, the American Council of the Blind needs uh, to do a lot of work in this area. I'm very proud of what ACB has done and is doing with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion. If we fail to include within that whole perspective perspective of diversity, equity, inclusion, inclusion of these topics, we are failing our membership, at least a good segment of it. And I'm so Absolutely. proud, Anthony, of you and others that are on this panel and others in within ACB who've done, I mean, Lynn, God bless you uh, for the work. And I'm, I better not start dropping names because I'll insult people by forgetting them. But those are oases, uh, not only within our consumer organization, but in the blindness world. And we had better step up our game with respect to that. So often we want to pigeonhole, uh, silo, uh, the whole issue of diversity and equity and inclusion to mean your favorite or my favorite community. Uh, and shame on us if we keep doing that. Amen. Thanks. So, and, and this is Jane just jumping back in. Mark, the big question I have is how do we, and I struggle to do this, how do we respectfully treat people as equals? I don't think class or race or sex or anything is more destructive than class or race or anything else. They all can be if yes. they are not cared right. for. So that's my big challenge. Yep. Well, I, I first I would love if you would um, forward that document that you've put together. Oh, sure. Um, sure and sure. with your permission, I would love to put it on the ACB Voices blog and then comment on the various lists. But yep. more, I, I'd like to open this this topic as my next uh, show in this segment in August. I'd like to come back and talk about this specifically because I think, um, you know, and I love ACB. If that's not evident by all, all where I am and, and <laughs> how much I am around ACB, then I don't know what to say. I do love ACB, but I have to challenge, you know, I, I love diversity, equity, inclusion. The idea of it is beautiful, but uh, you know, I constantly, BPI, which, you know, is my primary uh, affiliate, um, you know, we're the diversest you're going to find right now in ACB. And I, and I have to question, why would others from, you know, other um, identi identifiers, why would they want to come here when they don't see and they don't experience anything like their other and and I hate using that word, but I to, to represent the as well as I want to represent right now. You know, why would someone who's LGBT, blind, and African American come you know into ACB at large when they don't see anyone else? And and by see, you know what I mean. But they don't see anyone else of that intersectionality. Why would you know someone from the the Latin community 
you know, want to pay money and be a part of this organization when there's not much in it that represents them. Anthony, um, so yeah, this is Jesse. Um, Please, I, I get where you are coming from. I think we probably need to remember, though, that ACB does have um, some affiliates or like committees of the sight and sound for people who are deafblind, and they have. Uh, multicultures for Absolutely. people. Yeah. So why could we not have a mental health or call it whatever you want? Why could we not begin that type of a committee for people with mental health to, to provide Makes support sense. and education yeah. and resources? Because the one thing that I struggle with is like Melanie was asking about, you know, support and I don't know what's in your area. I don't know what's in your state, but somebody else in that committee might. Or if we had a committee, we could we could do better about investigating what services exist. So it's kind of like a blind person. You know, in West Virginia, if you're seeking orientation mobility, West Virginia doesn't offer that. So you're going to have to go to leader dogs or pilot dogs to get it. Well, Um, to be fair to ACB, we have the Information Referral Peer Support Committee that has been doing a fair amount of work behind the scenes, um, you know, and are trying to brand themselves out to ACB at large. Um, So I do want to be fair. And and of course, the Multicultural Affairs Committee does a lot of great work. BPI, of course, and I will sing, you know, I will carry the flag as, as long as I'm breathing. You know, we do some great work. But I think, you know, the organization as a whole needs to embrace the, you know, the special interest affiliates, the committees a little bit more, um, you know, and, and we need to tailor, we need to tailor the, the idea that, you know, we're all coming from relatively the same place. No, we're not. Um, we're all coming from incredibly different life experiences and that's the beautiful tapestry that is supposed to be this country and and you know supposed to be acb i don't think we fail i just think that we have untapped resources untapped ideas untapped potential that we're you know we really need to look at more also um, byron <laughs> I, I, I think everyone on this call will serve on it absolutely byron um how many more hands do we have and who's next Go ahead, Margie. Sure. Quickly. Oh, I just want to give oh, okay. two resources that ACB already offers. And oh. One is um, CAAVL, the California oh, Alliance in Aging and Vision Loss. Yeah. Every Friday morning, I, along with another member, we run a support group from 10 to 11. And the issues we deal with there is people dealing with sight loss or further sight loss. So, um, and you, I can't give out information on these calls, but if you contact Anthony, he has my email and my phone number. And Anthony, you're welcome to give it out and, so that I could give them the information for the calls. Um, Absolutely. And the other one I want to talk about is it started out as an AA call on Thursday evenings, an ACB um, call um, at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And that started out as an AA call. The beauty is it, it morphed into an A call. So (laughs) 
it, overeaters, um, debtors anonymous, um, narcotics anonymous. So if you, if you want to attend that meeting because you are, and we only invite people who are dealing with an A or an ISM um, that's in one of the 12 step type programs. And I invite you to that and that's listed in the daily calendar um, of events on Thursdays. Thank you. I was going to get to, you know, resources that we currently have at the end. Jesse, you also um, are involved in a couple of community calls if you want to shout them out real quick. Um, yeah, every Wednesday at five o'clock, I have a call taking care of our mental health. And we talk about just various topics um, having to do with self, self-improvement. Again, it's not a therapy group and it's not really a support group because it's done on ACB radio and that type of thing. But we talk about different different topics, um, social skills. We're going to talk about, in two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, coping with the new normal after, since the pandemic, you know, things are open and, and dealing with anxiety and depression. This coming week, we're going to talk about how you can create activities are fun even when you can't or, or don't want to socialize or go out and go to family gatherings and that type of thing um, for holidays especially so we talk about all kind of different topics on those calls and um, I've thought about actually starting a support group which would not be on but I'll have to talk on the to radio. Cindy. yeah <laughs> yeah well we will keep, we will definitely keep everybody informed. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Byron, how many hands do we have and who is next? All right, we have several. And um, just as, as a side note, if I mute any of the panelists, um, it, it's simply because I'm hearing background noise like Jaws or some eating or, or whatever, and I'm trying to minimize background noise. So if I mute you and you're a panelist and you wish to speak, um, just note that that's, that's why I'm doing that. Um, Scott, you are next. I'm going to ask you to unmute and, uh, you are free to speak. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Byron. And thanks to all for having this very essential conversation. I am so glad that, uh, Sean and others mentioned the impact of health, uh, mental health, uh, conditions on friends, spouses, and family members. Uh, In the 90s, to make a long story short, the love of my life was diagnosed with uh, bipolar uh, multiple personality disorder, and he suffered from uh, uh, severe depression, which ultimately caused him to take his own life. And here I was, the supposedly great advocate type that was going to get all of the services in place, and it was an incredible incredibly difficult challenge. He didn't get the intensity of services that he really needed. It took me about a year of therapy to figure out that I didn't cause it, I didn't cure it, um, and it wasn't my fault that it all went down that way. Fast forward a number of years later, however, I saw a friend experience some of the same thing, and I was so terrified that that might end badly. Fortunately, it did not, it ended well. But um, I I just wanted to mention that that I hope we can keep 
friends, families, spouses, partners, whatever, in the picture, um, because we need help too. And we need help in order to help. Uh, Absolutely. You. Thanks. Yeah. The caregiver role is, you know, they say teachers are the least appreciated, most underpaid. Well, caretakers for the most part don't get paid. Um, and, and, and they are not appreciated or understood or to the level that they should be. So Scott and, and Sean and, and everybody, thank you for, for highlighting that. Um, Byron. All right. So the next person on our list here is uh, Donna. So Donna, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to unmute. Hello, and uh, thank you guys for having this on. Um, I come to this also dealing with a, I had a father who was a functional alcoholic. I had a mother that uh, if things were out of her comfort zone, she just didn't deal with it. She was in major denial for a lot of things. Um, And I myself have dealt with uh, mental health issues. I have also um, tried to um, end it and it didn't work out. Um, but I have to say, um, ACB was a huge part of me, at least, um, feeling like I can wake up each day. Um, when I went to my first convention is when I finally decided it was okay to use a cane. Um, a lot of my, um, issues with depression stuff were from my um, visual impairment and especially when I lived in a place that getting around was very difficult Um, I had a time where to get to community college classes I had to put an ad in the paper think about that I had to ride with people I didn't even know very stressful yeah extremely stressful um I also have family members now who have depression and anxiety and um, and, and being a person who's dealt with all that stuff, it's very hard sometimes when they're having a hard time to also uh, try to help them, um, especially when some things they do cause me to have problems. Um, so, you know, it's just really difficult um, sometimes. But I've been lucky to be, have a, I had a really great therapist. She was really awesome. I worked with her quite a while. Um, and I recently actually just got out of it. Uh, I'm not. Sh- I don't know yet if that was a good idea, but I am. Tr- <laughs> I'm trying to. Think you can of always it. go back. Exactly. I've gone back several times throughout my life. You can always go back. Yep. And I'm trying to think positive about it. And um, yeah. So you know, someday. And you know, I have. I I do have an addiction to shopping. Shopping is a problem. And I had had it under control a little bit. COVID hit, it went to total hell. So I'm going to have to deal with that. But uh, I also had to deal with um, controlling issues, especially when it came to the person in my family who has um, mental health issues too. And I've had to work hard on that so that I didn't have as much anger. And I made quite a bit of success, but I still have days where I have to really be careful how I react to them. But thank you guys for having this. I am excited to hear the next installments and um, thank you. I, I, I hope ACB does more of this. 
Byron, we'll take a few more hands. And if, if we run out of time, we will um, we'll stay on post show credits. Um, but I will stop in a few minutes to give the panelists, uh, you know, a, a moment or two to give some last thoughts. But we'll do two or three more hands now. Byron. Okay, we got about four people left. Um, so hopefully we can get to all of them. If not, that's all right. Uh, we got Ray next. Ray, I'm going to ask you to unmute and uh, you are free to speak. Hi, um, good afternoon. Uh, this is this Ray Campbell speaking. And Anthony, I want to thank you for pulling this group together. <clears throat> I think it's, um, it's a very important uh, subject. And I um, I, as a leader in ACB, you know, I, I'm prepared to do whatever I need to do and, and, and encourage my fellow leaders to do the same thing, to better discuss these issues, support folks that are dealing with these issues. I think, I think one of the things that we do tend to do more than we should is to sort of pigeonhole people in. Like, uh, oh, if you're deaf blind, uh, you, 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 you know, here's the SASE committee, you go talk to them. Or mm -hmm. if you have, uh, if you happen to be Hispanic, go talk to the multicultural people. We, we represent a microcosm of society in the blind community. And we, we, we need, you know, we all have different interests and different things and different things that we can get out of ACB. And so I, I do think you, you're right about taking more interest in the affiliates and committees, uh, but also uh, let's, you know, I, I, I think we need to be, we need to work with the whole person as much as we can. And uh, second of all, uh, just wanted to quickly share that um, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've uh, certainly experienced, uh, have one family member that uh, overcame uh, or well, it got help for alcoholism uh, several years ago, um, and um, then you know I have um, another family member that um, is um, I I feel like dealing with some issues because of the uh, 2020 election, um, and. Um, I just would share that um, I myself in this pandemic this last year, you know, you know some job concerns about I work in an industry that was very hard to hit. Um, I don't mind sharing that uh, I never got to the point where I had to reach out for help, but I almost did. And, uh, you know, there was a <laughs> there was a, a number given in our state that you could contact to get mental health services. And I came very close a few times. It was just a very uh, depressing thing. So I say that to say that, you know, just because you, you see someone on the surface and you, you, you interact with them and you think they're quote unquote, all right, uh, whatever that means, we're not, we may not be. And we all may be dealing with things that we, 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 you know, we, we, we have to deal with and, and are dealing with. And, the last quick comment, Sean, I absolutely agree with you. We need to get mental illness out of our society and we need to actually treat mental health as important as physical health in our yep. society through our insurance and everything else. And that's all I've got to say. Thank you. Well, right. Thank you so much, friends of the show, friends in, in life. And um, I'm kind of glad that this is an election year as far as ACP is concerned. Um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, GDUI and BPI are plan are 
teaming up for a great candidates forum. And I think diversity and, and more peer support is probably going to be on the list of questions for all those candidates out there. So we've got two board members that I know of, possibly three on the call right now. So be prepared um, when you come to those candidate forums. You know, this is definitely going to be one of the topics that we address. Uh, Byron, who do we have next? Next, we have Lisa. Lisa, go ahead and unmute and you're free to speak. Hello, my name is Lisa Krishman. I have um, I, I have major depression and generalized anxiety. I've had them since my teens. I, I may have been had them earlier, but you know, diagnosed in my teens, um, thanks to the blessing of medication and therapy, I can work and live independently in my community. But I know, um, you know, it's going to be a lifelong struggle. There, there are chronic conditions and. Um, I, I'd say just speaking for myself, um, for me, I would take my blindness tenfold to not have to have the mental illness. I find the mental illness to be so much more debilitating for me, um, both personally and professionally than my blindness is. And I really appreciate you having this call. Thank you. Thanks. We're going to take a pause on the hands. And like I said, we will stay after, um, after we end the show. Uh, coming up in August, we're definitely going to have the conversation we spoke about earlier, but I think I'm going to do back to back in August because I also want to have the opportunity to talk about participating in your own treatment. Um, you know, the magic pill conversation, you know, pills can help very much so, but they cannot cure. Um, so those are two conversations we're going to have in August. I want to give the panelists and if you'll just respectfully kind of go one by one, if you want to give any closing thoughts before we close out the show for today. This is my Caitlin. Oh, go ahead, Marge. No, go ahead with Caitlin. I was going to say, Caitlin, we haven't heard from you in a while. If you want to give us, <laughs> if you want to start off the final thoughts. Sure. Um, thanks again, Anthony, for having all of us. I felt like this was a really helpful and really well-balanced discussion. Um, and I think my main takeaway for folks is just um, hopefully you have somebody that if you need to reach out, you feel comfortable reaching out and just having that conversation and telling somebody what you need. Um, I think that's a really good first step in the right direction if you feel that you have needs that aren't being met. Um, and often folks are, you know, more receptive and more helpful than we can hope. And if they're not, you know, lick your wounds a bit. It's hard. I get it. And then try again because there will be somebody who will listen to you and who will reach out to help you. Thank you all for listening and have a good weekend. Awesome. Thank you. Margie, you wanted to speak? Well, I was just going to do my clothes out. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, first, I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you. You have had some of the most important topics on your show that I don't believe in my time in ACB, almost 40 years that we have ever addressed such topics. Um, and I just think it's really awesome that we're doing this. I just wanna leave people with a thought that if you have any substance abuse issues, there is help out there. Um, you could just look on the computer or call 411 and find your nearest AA office. There's a lot of Zoom meetings going on right now for AA, NA, OA, and there's yep. hybrid meetings starting to happen. And I also want to talk about the other side of mental health, which is anxiety and depression. And there is help out there. There's absolutely really good help. You may have to shop for it, but it is out there. And I really encourage if you're struggling with any of these topics to please seek help 
because through the help, you can have a much higher quality life. Thank you. Absolutely. Hey, let me put Mark on the spot. First vice president. <laughs> Mark on the spot. All right. Bullet points. I think the events and forums for discussion, for sure, it needs to come much more from the top down as well as from the bottom up and side to side. So I'm excited about talking more and work. Oh, and the folks Mark, you work with and getting and hello and, and, yep, and getting someone to work with you and getting someone to work with you for sure. There are some really good counselors out there. I was very blessed to find a pastor who was also a licensed counselor. Um, for sure, don't let people tell you that uh, you can pray it away. But also, if you're a person of faith, don't be don't have people tell you that. Hey, don't think that you can, in fact, pray it away. Because let me tell you, uh, if you are a person of faith, that can mean all of the difference in the world as part of your personal journey. And then I suppose the third. I suppose the third thing I'll conclude with is with regard to medications always, and frankly, the entire process to the extent you can, I, as I said at the beginning, you can be way down in that hole and this might feel very difficult, but try to always remember that you need to be essentially the one in charge. And if you're not able to be in charge for sure, be surrounding yourself with family and friends who help empower you to be in charge. If you find yourself with a doctor who wants you pump, you pump you full of pills, and you go back to them and tell them that, hey, I'm feeling more miserable than I was when I first came in here. And they say, oh, well, that's no problem. You, we just need to give you more of it. Uh, you all like communicating. Uh, and for sure, because you're going to obey your doctor's advice, you need to find the right doctor. So hope you can hope we can talk a heck of a lot more about that. Anthony, thanks for your work in our community. We can't do it without you. God bless. Thank you. You know what, Jeff, um, if you want to jump in for a minute or um, I'll make kind of a different point, but first, <clears throat> I want to thank you, uh, Anthony, as Margie and others have for, you know, putting on this amazing show and so many others. But um, to a different point slightly from what others have made, um, let's try and do a better job at the local level of integrating ourselves more into the larger mental health uh, disability community because maybe yeah. that will help us advocate for our own mental health needs, for our own programs. You know, we, we share, we, we are different and yet we share concerns with that larger community. But I don't think they know that we exist and in part it's our own fault. So maybe we gotta think about more uh, uh, of the opportunities for, you know, cross disability advocacy in that arena. I agree a thousand percent. That's another show, um, maybe September. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody who participated, everybody out there who's listening. Um, you're so brave. You're so wonderful. And I meant what I said in the promo for the show. You're not alone. And, you know, if you have nowhere to reach out to and you need to start somewhere, you can always reach out to me. The email is all over the place. I'm not even going to repeat it because we are ending the show, but we will be back next Sunday with a great show. And those of you who still have hands, please stay. We'll, we'll talk for a few minutes after. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to 
Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday. Okay, you guys are clear from the air. Do you want me to keep recording, Anthony, or would you like me to stop? Yeah, we'll just go for another, like, five, ten minutes if there is anybody who who wants to speak, um, and then we'll call it a a day. Would you mind if I Um, throw something in there real fast? Yeah, please. Um, So this was a really interesting conversation because um, I probably don't fall into the criteria of somebody who you would think of that that suffers from mental illness because I, you know, a lot of times people don't show it. Um, And I think, Anthony, maybe you might understand this quite a bit as well. But, you know, you and I are both presenters and we're both sort of public people. Uh, You know, we have a public persona. And so yeah. we have, you know, especially with my comedy music and and my generally like, uh, you know, childlike innocence and wonder, um, there's there's like all of this stuff that hides underneath the mask. And the mask is so good that I don't yeah. see it. I don't see it. Like I didn't cry when my best friend died. It, it took a year and receiving a box full of his hard drives for me to go, oh, God, he's gone. And then I and then I cried like a year later. Um, and it's just, it's like, you know, mental, mental issues can hide in plain sight where you don't even think you have a problem until you realize like, holy crap, I'm blocked or holy crap, I haven't addressed this thing that's been hiding in plain sight. And, um, you know, sometimes the mask is real. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I I just, that moment. I'm sorry. Um, go ahead. I'll never forget that moment that someone said to me. Well, have you grieved your eyesight? And I'm like, um, y- yeah, of course I. No, wow, no, I didn't. You know, and that and that opened up a, an inc- a whole new journey for me, Mark. Yeah. So the only thing I would say here is, this is another one of these great examples of why it's it can be very helpful to begin a relationship with someone who is a good talk therapist. Uh, uh, you know, it's it's not unlike working with the Congress because it's all about me. Um, it's not it, because look, you don't you don't make your first visit to the person to ask for something. Um, you want to build that relationship first, yep. and it's not because necessarily that you think there's a snake lurking under the bedclothes. It's the truth is all of us uh, need to remain. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about preventive care, wellness, the rest of it. The the punchline here for me. Uh, or that connected with what you just said is I, you know, I've seen things in my life over the years that looking back at it now would be warning signs. And by warning signs, I mean, Hey, I've got a kind of a tempestuous personality, pretty sensitive, pretty emotional about things probably could have and should have been talking with a talk therapist, a coach type person for a long time, because when life throws you a gazillion curveballs all at once, and you also maybe make some crummy decisions on the way and they all converge that's when that mask is going to get ripped off like you wouldn't believe. And so I, any, anyone who's even sort of thinking along these lines, I would encourage them to reach out and start building that good relationship now. Yeah. And with, you know, with these telehealth services and things, it's becoming more and more available and easier. Correct. It's not easy for everyone. I, I'm not you know, going to sugarcoat yep. it. Yep. But, you know, I also think 
Mark, when you were talking earlier and, and, and it just hit me again when Byron was speaking, there's there's the rock star syndrome. And I myself, yeah. I think, fall into it. You know, when, you, when you're on top and you've got everything going on and you've made a couple of karmic decisions along the way and you know that, they, you know, someone in your family dies or the things that happen, you know, you're a rock star. So you're supposed to be able to handle each thing as it comes, you know, deal with it the way you're supposed to deal with it, put it in its place, put it on the shelf, you know, and I'm done with that. But, you know, even even those that are flying the brightest and the highest, you know, you, that avenue of talk therapy is amazing. Because even if you're not there for a specific issue or a specific problem, it, it opens you up to learn so much about yourself and, and to learn your own triggers and your own, right. you know, demons that are swimming underneath the mask. That's exactly um, Yeah. So I, I just did want to be fair to anybody that waited that waited around um anybody else want to speak up and, and ask any questions or make any comments well i think that that's one reason the statistics for mental health issues has risen because if anything threw anybody into chaos it was it was the pandemic right oh yeah you know suddenly and leaders and business owners and attorneys and doctors and therapists were just bombarded with, oh my God, I've got to cope with all these different people. I've got to cope with, can I keep my business? I've got to cope with my family. I've got to cope with myself. I've got to cope with, you know, and it just bombarded people. And all of a sudden, we realized, ooh, we're not so much different than our clients. Um, yeah, yeah. And and I, I can think certainly it... relate to what uh, Byron you were saying about the mask. And I mean, you know, therapists are not supposed to have problems. We're therapists. We should know how to deal with problems, right? Mm. Yep. But, you know, it's easier to talk with somebody and help them work through their problems. But sitting here having a conversation with myself... It's not so easy. I mean, in 2014, I went through a major awful time. Um, two of my dogs died very traumatically and very suddenly. I lost my home. I lost my business. I lost my position with ACB that I had. Uh, you know, um, I lost my mom. All of that in the same year. And at the same time, I was still trying to work at another job and, you know, continue to do what I needed to do. And it wasn't until the next year or the next couple of years that all of a sudden I realized you didn't deal with any of that stuff in 2014, 2015. And now you got to deal with it. Um, you know, it was, it was very, very difficult. Well, I, I think you're very brave. Um, for for having put yourself out there the way you did on the show, and I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. You know, so, real quick, one quick anecdote. My grandmother always told she went to the doctor, and she was a little overweight, and she smoked, and she's Italian or was Italian, <laughs> excuse me. And, and he gave her all these, you know, all the sermons and so on and so forth. And three days later, and it reminds me of a Golden Girls episode. If those of you who are fans will remember, <laughs> but she looked over to you know a couple tables away, 
And there's her doctor back in the day when you could smoke in restaurants with a big cigar going, you know, three <laughs> fingers of whiskey and a big old steak potato dripping with butter, sour cream and everything, <laughs> cheese, everything you could think of. And she was like, yeah, OK, and, and I'm supposed to follow what you're telling me. <laughs> All right. Anybody else with any final comments? We do Byron have has got a super someday, a super Sunday ahead of him. We do Go have ahead, we do have several hands up, so we'll we'll try to plow through them as quickly as possible. Um, we've got a six five zero area code six five zero. I'm going to ask you to unmute and uh, feel free to speak. Hi, this is Roger Peterson. Hey, Roger. I want to say hello to all my friends here. Uh, I I just wanted to. There are a couple of things I could say, but briefly. I want to go back to what Jeff said a long time ago about uh, being somewhat anti, anti-therapy. Uh, a lot of us in this organization came from another organization, uh, the NFB, and that organization, I think, was actively anti-therapy because they were reacting. It's this binary thing again. We were, they were reacting against... The idea that if you're blind, you're out of, you're crazy, you know. Yep. Uh, and uh, so, for example, I know of people who've been to some of the uh, uh, places you go to for training, like OCB, and uh, they said that when somebody really needed somebody uh, some assistance, it wasn't to be had because the people that ran it believed that blind people don't need any uh, psychological assistance. Um, so, you know, uh, and, uh, by the way, I went to graduate school in psychology, and it ha- as it happens, the people that I studied with were kind of anti-therapy, too. Wow. One, pro- one professor said, I don't want to know anything about people that isn't also true of rats. Uh, so, um, anyway, that's, that's uh, what I have to offer. Oh, thank let's you. go. Bye. Thank you. All right. Who's next, Byron? All right. Coming up next, we have 614. I'm going to ask you to unmute and feel free to speak. This is Melody. I One word that I was hoping to hear, and it's okay, it'll probably be heard in future um, Sunday edition episodes, but validation, because a lot of us that have a mental health condition, or even people that don't, we want to be validated and valued and feel like we're loved and know it's okay if we have something going on and not to be told, oh, you shouldn't be crying right now because this isn't a big deal or, or you're in public or you don't want people to see you acting crazy or acting foolish or whatever. And families will tend to do this. Sometimes medical professionals, even some mental health professionals, you're not really experiencing this this symptom, this emotion, and, and it's like, okay, I came here for help, and, and I am, I'm telling you this, and you're saying I'm not, how would you know, because you, you're not me, you don't live inside me, and my family is kind of of the mind that I created you, and and, and you can't walk into a door, you, you, you can't spill a drink, and I have to help you clean it up, but yet there's nothing wrong with you except the original condition that the doctors diagnosed, and and because we created you and all these other people that are blind and doing these things. It's it's not use. You couldn't possibly be doing it. And you, you you know, so I, I and I know other people are going through this. 
I appreciate you bringing LGBT, you know. I, yeah. I, I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. I think most of us probably figured it was implied, the validation part, by some of the things we were saying. But you're right. We should have used the word. So thank you very much for, for pointing that out. Mark, did you want to respond? No, I was just amending you. All right. Byron? Coming up next, we have Teresa. Okay. Can y'all hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I great. wish I'd gotten in here sooner. I was listening. Oh boy, um, I'm one of those people that probably falls into the category, oh, you should never have any problems. You know, see, my mm-hmm. father was, my father uh, was, had a PhD in history. He was a professor at a college where I attended for a while. And that was a little tough because this was a small town and everybody talked. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, if you um, sneezed out loud, you know, <laughs> I'm being facetious. <laughs> If you get my point, everybody talked. Um, when I was 18 years old, okay, I grew up with um, two sisters and one brother. And so there were four women in my family, counting myself and my mother. She, her, and my other two sisters. I mean, she, me, and my other two sisters. Um, my mother, I always felt, was kind of closer to my other two sisters. And I think the older one really tried to buy for her affection and attention. And because I was gone, you know, I was in the schools for the blind. I was in three of them growing up. She didn't get to see me as much as she did them. And I remember in the afternoons, she'd want me to come in and give her a back rub before she took a nap. And sometimes my older sister would come in and um, want to talk while I was giving her a back rub. And I think I always felt like she was invading our time, our space. Um, you know, this was us, not not all three of us, but just two of us. Um, and I always felt like when they had a conversation, it was geared toward things that they all knew, you know, the other three of them knew that I couldn't talk about. But my family also had a lot of secrets. And I felt like I couldn't talk to any of my family members, but I could deal with my friends better. I could relate to my friends a lot of times better. And I still think, I still feel that I could um, relate to my friends. Yeah. Even now, I'm I'm just more of a um, external, you know, reaching out to people outside of my family than I am inside. But the thing is, um, now uh, my parents are both gone, and so is the older sister. And just me and the um, baby sister and my brother are living. You know, in the LGBTQ community, there's a there's a saying that you know you're born into one family, but as you as you grow up, you you pull, you find the family that you're meant to be with. And that's, you know, it's not across the board. Some of us have had some great family, not myself, but some of us have had some great family experiences and wonderful, loving acceptance. But often, you know, you you have to find another family because the one that, you know, you were born into doesn't really validate, to use Melody's word, you know, your needs or who you are as a person. Thank you for, thank you for coming and, and sharing with us. Yes. Thank you. Thank Mr. You, game show host Byron, you should have your own game show. Who's next? <laughs> All right. 505. Come on down. I'm going to ask you to unmute. <laughs> and you're unmuted. Yeah, you should is, be able to talk. This is Beth uh, Fazio from New Mexico. And I have a lot of the same concerns as Teresa does. First of all, I felt shortchanged by. Uh, being mainstreamed because 
in some parochial schools, there's only one teacher, and and there wasn't in in our town there wasn't that many itinerant teachers for for that many kids. It was a kind of an experimental project. Well, we lived there, and there was only like five or six kids that we know of going to either public schools or Catholic schools, and I don't know, and and you weren't supposed to really say anything because like someone was saying, you know, your family's, well, I created you and, yeah. and you're not supposed to really have any problems. And, and so even still today, things have come up in the family because my daughter is cited. She's also taking therapy and she questions me. Why didn't this, why didn't they address this issue, mom? With other family members, I have no idea. Back then, mental health was not talked about or anything like that. No, absolutely. And uh, and I I agree with equity and all that. I I don't really understand equity. I'd rather use the term equality because I don't want to be considered an other. I really don't. No, and when I, you know, I, I wanted to make the point to, to quantify that because, you know, I don't think none of us want to be an other, but, you know, I, I struggle with trying to understand how can, you know, how can we, you know, move forward without acknowledging the other. The, the way to get the way in my, and again, this is just my personal feelings, but the way to get through and past the others is to actually acknowledge the fact that the other exists in this world. You know, pretending that racism didn't, doesn't exist and that we aren't, <laughs> that we really right. haven't moved anywhere since the, the 50s and 60s, that didn't work for us. To pretending, you know, so maybe addressing it head on. And, you know, in the LG, I hate to keep bringing it back, but that's my primary, you know, I, my activism yeah, for all of before I was that. playing came from that community. You know, we took words like faggot and dyke back because, you know, without addressing it, you know, feeling it, taking it, living, moving through it, it was always going to be a derogatory, you know, derogatory terms. Mm -hmm. And and I think the community was pretty successful. And if you apply that kind of model to the other, I think we could be successful to othering out others. Um, again, a personal opinion, but that's, that's where I come right. from. That's why I use right, the words the way I use it. Right. No, and I understand that. But then yet we don't want the woke culture either. That really is... Ugh. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why we have to go. You know, we have to go back to to the village model. You know, it, it takes a village. If you see something, say something. All of those, you know, they're trite, they're trite sayings, but they're trite sayings, and they're because they mean something. They, you know, they've been around for a couple of, you know, a couple of decades or a couple hundred years, depending on the saying, because they actually mean something. All right, thank you. And for you're right. Yeah, you are right about that. It should start from the top down and from the bottom up. Another thing that I think ACB gives a lot of um, thing to catering, not catering to like people that do have computers. Most people do have them in this age, but there's still 35 percent of us that call in by phone. And, and um, Absolutely. although they do a good job with us, but we try, you know, they're like, why can't you? You know, why can't you get a computer or, you know, and not all those can, especially in these little rural towns. I'm working on getting one, but then I have to get training and that isn't 
really offered here. So I can do you mind if I step computers. in here for just a second, Anthony, regarding that? Please, thank you. So um, one of the things I just wanted to bring up to Beth and, and anyone else who's on the phone who's suffering with that particular issue with the whole computer and training and all that, <clears throat> not every state has this, but many states do. Many states have a senior services program or an older blind program uh, or, or something similar where they are providing training and services to people who are not necessarily looking to join the workforce. Because that, that seems to be the MO of most vocational rehab programs is getting you into school or getting you into work. And that yep. doesn't that model doesn't necessarily translate to everyone, especially people who are exiting the workforce because they're retiring. And yet they still need to learn how to keep up with technology. And so what I would encourage you to do is just go on Google uh, or ask someone to go on Google for you uh, or call your local state services for the blind and ask, do you guys have an older blind program? Is there training for me? Is no, there... they don't. Yeah. Some states because do, of... some states don't. Because of WIOA mm-hmm. um, that was passed in 2015, uh, some of their older blind programs, a lot of them were cut back. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah. That's really sometimes, too bad. Sometimes you can get those trainings and you may have to, you know, work with the person and, but committee on aging or senior center, senior services, ours is called committee on aging, but um, they teach a lot of people who are visually impaired. I don't know that they taught a totally blind person only because I'm not sure a totally blind person has gone there. They're teaching them basic computer, basic um, smartphone techniques, you know, things like that. So that might be a possibility. Just because it's not for blind people doesn't mean that they would not be willing to take the challenge. And especially now that things like uh, MVDA are free and, you know, it's not like, oh, Uh we're going to have to buy $15,000 or $100, you know. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, reach out and and see what and this you is Mark's can language. get. Yeah, I've been trying to reach out like that because I do think it's important. Definitely. Well, I don't want to sideline you. I don't want to talk out of turn, but um, this is Teresa, and I was going to suggest Beth get involved with the senior center because you might be helping maybe reach out to um, somebody who's losing their vision that doesn't know how to speak out. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, oh, I got cataracts. I don't know what to do. Um, you might be that that best friend to that person, you know. Well, one thing is them. that I think is one thing that I think is ironic here in in New Mexico for for. Uh, well, especially or in this little town for this, uh, they'll tell you, won't the school for the blind help you? And I have. I've had to get kind of sarcastic, but gee, I appreciate the comment, the compliment, but uh, I really look older than 22 and the school for the blind only helps people up to age 22, but I appreciate the compliment, but no, they won't help me. Really? This would be I a really, it was all, Anthony, this would be a really you know, interesting. Going, I thought it was all encompassing and you're going, nope, oh, it's yeah. a school. This would be a really interesting topic for us to, you know, maybe cover in Sunday edition. The struggles of you know people who, who you know, identify as seniors or older blind, um, you know, the, the struggles that the unique struggles that they have. Um, and and I would Absolutely. love to participate in that. I would, 
I'd love to have Mark and oh, um, I would love uh, to be a part Lee Nasahita come awesome. back. For, yeah, let's let's look at that for August as well. Um, all right, Byron, are there any cool. other hands? You're going to have a full month. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep. I, I've got June plans. I'm taking most of July off for convention and various other things. You'll see uh, the, those two voting uh, task force that I uh, – uh, the candidate forums will be two Sunday editions in July. So I basically have June and July locked up, but I basically have August locked up now too. I just got to get uh, Lee Nassahi on here too. Anthony, um, one this is Scott. One quick a piece yeah. of advice for uh, uh, obtaining that. a computer and training at very low cost is Computers for the Blind. I believe they're in Austin. They provide uh, uh, refurbished computers with a uh, JAWS license uh, and training. Uh, their training person is phenomenal. Um, and I think it goes from anywhere from about $150 or $100 or less for a desktop. It's slightly more for a, for a laptop computer. So is they, it based on whatever you're, you know, receiving as far as services? I, uh, I know, believe SSDI so. Or, I okay. believe so. Yes, correct. But I think the max is like 150 or uh, I think maybe about $100 more if you, if you desire a laptop. But anyway, it's all put together. It'll come out talking out of the box, uh, all that sort of stuff. They do provide support. And there's lots of community support out there, too, on the computer learning. So, And, and the other cool thing about Computers for the Blind is that oh, they, thanks, Brian. they provide you with a year of licensing for whatever adaptive technology you ask for. So if you ask for Zoom Text Fusion or JAWS or, or just regular old Zoom Text, it, it, they'll give you a year of support for that license. And then you know, you'll need to pay for licensing after that. Uh, but they also put free tools on there like NVDA. Um, so it's a really great way to get yourself into technology, especially if you're on a fixed income. And awesome. don't forget all the community calls. I, I get a lot of information from I get a lot from the community to the calls too. Conversations yep. or, you know, the Apple conversation. Just yeah, you know. if you go into you know, if Beth, if you decide to go forward with the computers for the blind or or another avenue, if you go into the bitch chat, you know, and basically tell them, hey, I'm just starting out. You will make a bunch of friends. They, you know, there's a lot yeah, of yeah. individuals mm -hmm. in that affiliate that love to help and refresh themselves by by helping someone else. Absolutely, um, Byron. So we can be cognizant of everyone's time. Are there any other hands? There sure are. So uh, we have Sean. I'm going to ask you to unmute, and you should be able to speak. Oh, mine was just kind of a silly comment from earlier, and I forgot to put my hand down, so oh. feel free to move on. <laughs> Thanks, right. well, Sean. Thank, thank you, Sean, for, for joining us today. Scott, right, I see that next? I see that your hand was up, but you just spoke. Did you have other stuff that you wanted to say? Oh, let me uh, ask you to unmute. Scott, Scott Marshall. All right, moving on. Um, so 614, 614, I'm going to ask you this to unmute. This is Melody. It's, it's interesting to speaking after Sean because he and I have associated all our lives. I hope you're okay with that, dear. Um, I, computers for the blind, I want to speak to that. I want to get three things in here quick. I don't know how much time I have. 
I just bought a laptop from there for $140 because I have, I get SSI and my mom's <coughs> SSA retirement because I did not work enough years and make enough money to qualify for SSDI and they're sending it with JAWS and I'm pretty excited. I haven't had a computer in years. Second, I'm noticing that when you're older than 22 and younger than 62, 55, whatever senior status is nowadays, it's assumed that you don't need any kind of help, no matter what disabilities, conditions, income bracket you fall under. And as far as apartments, housing, technology assistance, any kind of training, mental health services, insurance, it's we're kind of left behind because we're in that mid-grade, born between the mid-70s and early 90s, and it's just assumed that we're fine. So we can't get anything with extra amenities. We can't get, you know, health insurance doesn't want to pay for it. We can't go certain places. We can't get into certain care facilities if we were to need some help right now. And it's, it's you know, forgive us for being born during that time period. And, and especially if you're not planning on, if you either can't work for whatever reason or yeah. aren't planning to go get work, yeah. then it's really hard to get services because now you're in that homemaker category and a lot of states don't even support that. Or you yeah. got to have a family with kids. If you don't, you know, forgive, you got to be a veteran. You know, it, it, I would love to serve my country. <laughs> even some guide dog schools can't help you with extra things if you're not, you know. And the third thing is my my family doesn't want to see that. I even had Sunday edition on and I came out and I was going to eat and, and I almost, you know, knocked a plate of food off and I caught it. And, and my dad said that was a close one. You know, I said, now, now, when do you, do you think that these people haven't done it before? And he said, what? Because they, they don't want to listen. They don't want to, I'm not qualified to know what I'm talking about. They don't want to believe that I have these diagnoses. And I said, these people, I'm, they can help me. I'm banking on them. And, and, and he's like, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. He said, I, I am them. And of course, they both walk out and they, they have a habit of walking away and avoiding confrontation, which just leaves me overpowered again and again and again. And that repeated trauma and defeat. And I don't know how, because I'm here with the two of them. And, and you know, it's assumed that they're, people will say, stay right where you are. Your parents take such good care of you. I'm doing the best I can to move. It's No, I've been taking my care of myself for years and someone else. And people are, no, you haven't. Well, yeah, I've been cleaning, cooking. They're, they're, I'm pretty much alone here. So know how to combat that one thing one thing i can offer is me you know you have to take people where they are even your parents and i know that it's frustrating i know that it it's defeating but they are who they are you you are an amazing person and you will do and be what you need to do and be you just have to keep moving forward and just take them where they are and move around them. You know, if if being independent is what you absolutely need and want out of life, you will get there. You just gonna it, it takes it takes a lot of perseverance. Yeah, and I'm not like a super religious person, but I like the saying "God helps those who help themselves," because um, you know you you can't just wait for it to fall in your lap or, or pray that it will happen. You also have to take the initiative to make it happen. And um, so, you know, if you feel like being independent is something that you need to stay sane, you know, being independent is something that you need for your own mental health, um, despite what other people think, you know, how good you have it, you know yourself more than, you know, better than anyone else. And so you have to make the decision that best fits your needs. 
All right, Byron, one or two more, and then we absolutely have to call it a day. Okay, let's see who we've got here. Um, so okay, I guess Sean is still Sean is still raised. I think I need to lower him. Scott, uh, let's come back to Scott and see if he still has a question or not. Because he was raised, but then he spoke about computers for the blind, so I don't know if he had other stuff. I, I'm fine, Brian. Th- I mean, Byron. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm fine. Thanks. Okay. Well, I think we've got everybody. Um, if you've got nothing else, then I think we've got everybody. Well, um, I wish I could. I wish we could go on for another hour, but we all have other commitments. Um, everyone who was brave and what's, spoke what's on today. next week's show? Uh next week oh I, I am actually going back next to sunday. couples next sunday will be ron and lisa brooks and uh uh judy wilkinson and steve um mendelson i think is the last name um but we're gonna have a lot of fun talking with some prominent acb couples okay all right everyone thank you so much really thank you thank you thank you mm-hmm. i hope Thanks everybody so. has a blessed Good week job. well done Take as always all right Talk to you all soon. Take care, man.